I know, but we're just going to get through like two minutes and not stress about it. Yes. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. We're very excited to be here this morning. You know, I love Wednesday, and Wednesday, whenever possible, we bring you Dr. Doreen Grampichet live, and she answers your questions live and in person. And yes, unfortunately, you can already hear it in my voice. I had promised you Dr. Grampichet this morning, and she was called away. And so we're going to play you an oldie but a goodie. Um, but I, it's still good stuff, I, I, so I don't want you to leave. Um, I want you to check out, and you'll see the questions at the beginning of the show, so you'll see the kinds of things that she's going to be answering. I do want to remind you, I'll be standing by, um, so I'll see when you guys write in questions in the crawl, and I apologize again that we don't have her live, but um, it's almost as good when she's recorded. Uh, and I also want to give you a couple of programming notes, uh, and please don't forget to, Traven's going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect, and keep in mind that I'll be keeping tabs on those as well so that we can continue having the conversation during the, the live show. And you can write in questions, and uh, we will save them for the next show that Dr. Doreen Grampichet is going to be on. But um, I also want to remind you the rest of the shows for this week. So um, today is the Ask Dr. Doreen. Tomorrow on the show, we, uh, we had such a good time talking to one of the producers of the film Autism Goes to College. So tomorrow we're having the director, Eric Lindthorst, is going to be here with us to talk about this film and um, give you guys more ways that you can go and watch it because we're hearing great things about it all over when people are able to screen it. And um, then on Friday, Nancy Allspot Jackson and I will be here for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We have Lee Hirschfeld is going to be with us. She's one of our research associates who explains research in the news to us. So she'll be here for that, and that's always really fun. And then we've got the wonderful autism mom and author Kimberly Kaplan will be with us. She's got a new book out about, of all things, Monty Hall. Do you remember Monty Hall? He used to host Let's Make a Deal and um, a lot of other shows that are even before my time. But uh, she has co-authored this wonderful new book about Monty Hall. And I know you're thinking, like, what does that really have to do with autism? But, you know, I, first of all, um, you, you'll, you'll, there's always a connection, right? But the connection that's firmest for us is that um, it's an autism mom who co-authored this. And we always support the work of autism parents, right? Um, because how could we not? So, and Kimberly's got other books that are written about autism in a film, a short film that she wrote about autism. So we're going to talk about all of that with her, with Nancy, plus some in the news on Friday. So that's what ha what's happening for the rest of the week. And then we'll tell you on Friday about what's happening next week, because next week's a little bit different. But um, I hope that you will write in during this hour and stay tuned and watch this really superlative episode of Ask Dr. Doreen. And like I said, I'll be standing 
standing by answering questions. And so my friends, enjoy. Here's Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampiche, and she's going to answer your questions in real time. For those of you who don't know or aren't familiar with Dr. Grampiche, she is a true expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in the field of autism, and she's also a visionary. We were just talking about this br briefly before that uh, I, if I had to go to somebody and say, you know, what should I do? What should somebody else do? It would absolutely hands down be you. Thank you so much. And you've been doing that for people for many years now, I for guess. more than three decades, <laughs> um, and have helped multiple tens of thousands of people on the autism spectrum to be able to find their way to gain skills, to be able to do things that are meaningful in their lives. And I think that's a huge thing. But you also... You, you take into account everybody's perspective, their perspective, the individual uh, that's on the spectrum, and the family. Um, and I think that that's unique. I, well, wish that there, you. I wish we could clone you. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, too much chaos in the universe. <laughs> no, it'd be fabulous. Uh, but in any case, uh, Dr. Grampiche is here to answer your questions. She donates this yes, hour to all of us. We do like to give a disclaimer at the beginning that there is no expert in any field, but especially in the field of autism, who could give individual specific advice in this forum. Mm -hmm. So it does mean that Dr. Grampiche will look at your questions and she will give answers of a general nature that will hopefully help you to be able to go to the experts in right. your area and get more specific answers. Exactly. We'll do the best we can with the information but we, we have. But we learn so much at your feet. Well, thank you so, so much. much. But yeah, we just want to make sure people know that uh, sometimes the, the information in these questions is just not enough for us to be able to give exact direction. So, you know, please be aware of that. But having said that, as we've said earlier, there's so many different ways to write into the show, but one of the ways, sometimes when you're writing in on the live feature, it only gives you a certain number of characters, and you can keep writing in, right. and we mostly can piece together which question goes with which question. Um, but if you need a longer space, you do have the ability to message us on Facebook, and you also have the ability to email me if you want to write a longer letter. Right. Um, the first question that we had today came to us, it's a longer one, and we may not read the whole thing, but it came to us as a message on our Facebook page, on Autism Lives Facebook right, page. Right. Uh, so they wrote it in and said, Dear Shannon and Dr. Doreen, I apologize in, in advance for how long this email is. And she says, I'm the mom who wrote in a few weeks ago regarding my two-year-old and my insurance not covering ABA. She goes on to say, I cried when I heard my question read. I feel so alone in this, and I think we can all relate to that. She says, since my son's diagnosis, I've been living, breathing, and eating information about autism. I watch Autism Live every week and have begun watching older shows from months and even years back. My husband is wonderful and very helpful, but when it comes to trying to figuring out what's the best course of action, it's all on me. And that's a, that's a common tale. There's even a, a couple that does a talk and they say that, you know, one person becomes the project manager and the other person tries to keep the roof over the head. And that's a lot of times how it falls in an autism and, family. And, and that has, that's kind of how it has to be, you know, and, and it works if each person is able to take a different role. And in this case, when you read on, this mom is a nurse. Yes. So it makes sense because she just has more knowledge. It does make sense. Uh, but she goes on to say, uh, doctors are not being very helpful in the sense that I ask about biomedical aspect of autism. I'm met with judgmental looks, and I'm told flat out that those biomedical approaches don't work. Uh, he even had severe reflux and a milk protein allergy as an infant. When I asked the GI about the gut-brain connection, he gave me no insight and said kids with autism have GI issues. Which that just kills me, you know? Doesn't it? It yeah. offends me to my eye teeth. Yeah, not only that, that, that doctors would say this, none of this is true, but the fact that you just say, oh, all kids with autism have GI issues, which has absolutely nothing to do with autism at all. And, and unfortunately, is, then, they, then they decide not to treat them exactly, as a child that they would treat who oh, was having this GI is just, issues. Exactly. This is autism. This is called overshadowing, and this kind of really concerns me, and it's so important that people don't ignore 
ignore these other uh, things that are going on with their kids. It's yeah, so important. It's, it's horrifying. Uh, okay, but she goes on to say, uh, when I asked about the gut-brain connection, he gave me no insight, said kids with autism. My son has, oh, and he doesn't, the doctor doesn't believe in detoxing. Mm-hmm. She says, my son has eczema and keratosis pilaris. I, I have him on a dairy-free, gluten-free diet. I asked the GI about yeast overgrowth, and he does not believe in that either. Hmm, I've got words for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says, I have nowhere to turn. Well, uh, fortunately, that's not true. That's the part that's yeah. not true. She says, my insurance only covers the pediatric GIs in that office, and it's so frustrating. What helps me a little is that I'm a nurse, and since I ask uh, certain more probative questions, they don't totally disregard me, but I would love to find a physician that sees my son as a whole when it comes to autism. I don't believe I'm going to get, uh, to get an appropriate second opinion in that office. They're not looking at him as a whole. Thank you for answering my question a few weeks ago. You were right. The card I had the appointment for was the UM card because we uh, to catch people up. Um, in Florida, there are two different cards. One is attached to a university that has nothing to do with the card that we're talking about. Right, right. And it's Center for Autism Related Disabilities, actually. It's a little bit different than the... Okay. Uh, she says, I contacted your card in Boca Raton, Florida, and they were so nice and helpful. I plan on applying for Medicaid, but I was told that card doesn't accept it in Florida yet. Also, I purchased the skills program in the interim to start doing ABA myself at home. In regard to IBT, which program do you recommend, the module for parents or the RBT modules? I apologize for all the questions, but I have one more. He is engaging in headbanging. I'm trying to figure out the function of the headbanging and stop him from doing it. He's a sensory seeker with all of his senses for the most. He does not avoid any visual, auditory, or tactile input. He bangs the back of his head while in the high chair or in the car seat. He starts off soft but then gradually gets faster and faster. He has, and I'm not sure how to say that, Chiari malformation. However, the neurologist is not concerned about it. It is a four millimeter herniation of the cerebellum and the cerebral tonsils are triangular. I'm afraid that the head banging is going to make the Chiari worse. When I tell him no, he looks right at me and smiles or laughs and continues to do it. I don't believe he bangs his head because of pain. He is very happy and a content kid. He is always smiling, laughing. Sometimes he does laugh inappropriately, which makes me wonder about yeast overgrowth. He also bangs his head when he's mad. He bangs the front of his head when he's mad and not in a chair. Luckily, he doesn't have a texture aversion and will eat anything and everything I give him, which I'm grateful for. But when his meal is done, he will scream and cry and bang his head. I distract him by being silly or singing and he stops and he doesn't continue to cry for food so i'm sure he's he's not still hungry he also has been mouthing and biting his toys and fingers and when he drinks water he holds it in his mouth for a long time before swallowing it when i tell him to swallow the water he laughs all this makes me believe it may be an oral sensory issue, but I'm not sure how to fix it. And thank you so, 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 so much for your help. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. And we adore you. Right? This is an honest yes, mom. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I was taking notes because there's yeah, so I much to you, tell you. You, you have to. We should I have had the camera on you because you were furiously scribbling. Because there's I a don't lot forget there. Anything. Yeah, you have, there's a lot going on and I'll try not to talk about just answer this one question the whole show but i'll do my best here okay so a couple of things first of all you have found your tribe we are here like let me tell you this what you're experiencing is not unique in fact it's probably i want to say maybe 80 percent of of parents who have had a child with autism have gone through this sort of thing where their pediatricians or even further GI doctors will kind of mock where we are right now and what we know about autism. Uh, You know, I've been in the field of just ABA for almost 40 years and I to this day still hear people saying it is impossible to recover from autism. So, you know, 40 years of work later and it's still, I mean, the first publication we had on the subject of recovery was 1987. So we're talking you know, people, it takes a really long time and many, many years for things to settle down. On the issue of biology of autism, I think 
either on our show or somewhere online, there's got to be some presentations that I've done in the past. I've talked a lot about this concept because for me, and this is this might be interesting for other people listening as well, but the way that I see autism is definitely, and you refer to whole child, and maybe you've seen some of my presentations that were called the autism, the whole child. And really what, I, what we're talking about is from my perspective, there is definitely, there's no question, you know, we know already that in some cases at least there's a genetic predisposition, but that genetic predisposition, what it really affects in the children, the biology underlying what we see with our kids is very often related to what's going on in their immune system, which means also related to the GI tract, of course. And there is, when children have inflammation in their GI tract, which sounds like your child does, due to perhaps these allergens or perhaps something else, we don't know yet, uh, there's no question that his immune system is not functioning the way it should be. Uh, you know, a lot of our kids react to toxins very differently. A lot of our children have severe redox issues, and I would really recommend that you do continue to pursue the medical issues because... You know, we look at our, t this just, just the example you gave where your child has gastrointestinal problems and the doctors are saying, oh, this is just about the autism. You know, if it was any other child, as Shannon said, and they had bloating, if they had diarrhea, constipation, just gastrointestinal pain, whatever it was, everyone would take that seriously. We would definitely be treating that child. Uh, with our kids, somehow the doctors are like, oh, that's just part of autism. It is such an ignorant statement to say that's part of autism. It has absolutely nothing to do with the diagnosis of autism. Uh, and we're just ignoring the fact that there's a high correlation with children who have autism, who also have, uh, you know, and it's so high that it might even be causative and people are not willing right. to look at it. So it's amazing. Uh, you're doing the right thing in regards to the diet. I do r recommend, so here's two doctors that you can contact. I believe you're in Florida. Yes. And I don't know which side of Florida you're in, you're on, but in the Miami southeastern uh, section of Florida, so in the Miami area, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Andrew Levinson, uh, he is a orthomolecular psychiatrist. He has a center called Vitality Health and Wellness, and you can look him up online and see how he treats patients. He uh, was, both of these guys were Dan physicians. Both of these guys are very, very well trained in the, what is now called MAPS, which MAPS are the doctors that kind of used to be called Dan doctors, uh, and they are the ones that are kind of, uh, I would say they're on the cutting edge, you know, they're looked at sometimes differently because uh, the things that they believe in, the, this, the whole concept of redox and inflammation and allergies and all that sort of stuff and leaky gut and all that, uh, it, you know, there is a lot of research and publication behind it, but a lot of mainstream physicians still uh, choose to think that this is sort of crazy and out there. All of these physicians are specialists only in autism. They work, although... Andrew is a psychiatrist. He has very few patients outside of autism. He does see regular patients, but he mainly focuses on autism. So that is one avenue. And um, another doctor who actually Andrew and David used to be partners uh, is David Berger. David is in Tampa, and uh, so the other side. And he's a pediatrician, and you would have to really decide. Uh, they have different styles, so go on their websites and figure out which one you prefer. And we've uh, had them both on the show. Okay. You can comp you can look at interviews for both of them on Perfect. the show and see they're both two of the most amazing people. Absolutely. I, I would love to be in the room with either one of them. Absolutely. They're amazing both extremely people. knowledgeable, mm. and I think you will not go wrong. And given that you're a nurse, you know, so you have two choices here. One is that you try to get your insurance to cover one or the other. Uh, the other option is just to go and pay for it privately because... Uh, you know, given that you're a nurse, you can learn very quickly, and I think that you could probably benefit from a few meetings. Uh, also, you know, go back online, go look on the Autism Research Institute website. Uh, I think they actually their their uh, URL is autism.com. Yes. Um, and Steve Edelson, who is a wonderful guy, who took over for an even more wonderful guy, Dr. Bernie Rimland. Um, the Autism Research Institute is. 
packed with research and information and a lot of, you know, the whole Dan movement, the whole movement, the biomedical movement came from Dr. Bernie Rimland's work and from Dr. Rimland bringing together all the physicians in the world and having them meet and discuss these issues. So historically and current, all of the information that we know on the biomedical is, on, is accessible through the Autism Research Institute. Um, I don't know if they still have their newsletter, but if you just go online, they have tons of information that you can access, tons of prior conferences that you can view, and I highly recommend that you view these um, when you have time, and they will be very, very useful to you in figuring out what you need to do for your child medically. Uh, you know, you're doing the diet, that's great. Sometimes the diet, sometimes you need to do other types of diets. Some of the children react uh, also to soy and corn. Uh, some of the children do better on a specific carb diet, which is a different type of diet. So you may want to research that a little bit better. Uh, the person that I usually go to for dietary information is Julie Matthews. She's in San Francisco. She's also very knowledgeable. She's also been on this show. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of people who are fantastic with dietary information. Of course, I'm sure Andrew and David can both assist you with all of that as well. Um, so uh, that's where you start. I think that's what you kind of work on. And then you're training yourself and you're doing a fabulous job in terms of learning more about ABA. So let me just go in there for a minute and give you some feedback there. I would probably, if, uh, to begin with, I would start with the IBT modules for parents. Uh, and then if you are in, you know, the RBT, mod, the module for registered behavior technicians or board certified autism technicians are a little bit technical. I don't know if you need that level of technicality because we're talking about, you know, if you were to be the sole person doing therapy yourself, I'd say go to the RBT module right away. But I think you need to go to the parent module and then uh, see how you feel about it. And I don't think they're, um, they're not basic. The parent modules are fantastic and they get more and more and more advanced. So I would just start there and I would go with those. They're very, very good modules. I enjoy those quite a bit. Um, and then I think what you need to do is if you hire a team of people, if you want to get a good ABA program going for your child and you get, and let's say your insurance isn't covering it and we're, we're trying to get into Medicaid. We're, it's an application process, but we're working on that. Uh, and I'm not sure if we actually got it approved or not. We may have. I'll have okay. to find out. But until that happens, you can always hire a team of people and, uh, you know, pay them minimum wage and have them trained through the RBT modules. Uh, and that way they will really learn the science of ABA and what to do. Uh, and that way you'll have a team of people and, and your child is two and you really should be starting with somewhere probably you want to start with like maybe three hours a day, two hours a day. I mean, you're going to have to break it up. Even if you do three hours a day, you're going to only be able to do half hour segments, you know, which are broken up. So you won't be able to get much more than that done with a two-year-old because two-year-olds get tired very quickly. I generally ramp up sessions to about 40 hours by the time the child hits three. So at two, you could do a lot less. And when I say you're doing like three hours a day of ABA work, you have a team of, say, three people who work with you and they rotate, right? So each of them will come for an hour a day. And what they will do is, or, you know, one of them will take Mondays and Wednesdays, another one, however you mix up that schedule. And uh, then they will do a 30-minute segment of time, and the 30 minutes is now is, will be composed of various things in, from skills. And there'll be things like nonverbal imitation, imitation of sounds, uh, just basic receptive language, like giving or pointing to objects, touching objects, very, very basic things uh, that will just start to teach your child some compliance and uh, just kind of, the, you know, it's very important in the beginning we always do what's called discrete trial because what we're trying to do is we're trying to establish a, a, a connection with the child where the child understands that I will give you an instruction and you will do the correct behavior and then I will give you a reinforcer. That three segment thing is called a discrete trial. It's, a, it's an antecedent behavior consequence type thing and that's very, very important. Once that's established, 
the whole flow of ABA can go faster because the child then knows that a response is expected. You'll learn a lot of this stuff on IBT. Um, I want to give you some direct feedback on some of these things. The head banging that he's doing in his car seat, for instance, and so on, is most likely not an avoidance type thing. It sounds like a sensory type of thing. And so I would uh, try to get him a helmet uh, because I would want to prevent the sensory feeling that he gets from banging. It could also be not just the sensory from banging, but the visual that occurs from doing this. Uh, a lot of times we don't realize that uh, there's a visual component to some of the self-stimulatory stuff that, you know, what, many of my kids will, will, will spit. And then you're thinking, oh, I wonder, you know, if that's an oral motor type thing. And it isn't. And we found for many of the kids, they're looking at this bit as the colors. It's the visual, exactly. And it's fascinating that we don't think about that. So it could also be a visual self-stimulatory type thing. And um, you can find out by perhaps having some sort of like a, um, you know, like an iPad or something on the on the back of the seat in front of him and see if he does it when he's occupied, when he's visually occupied. Yeah. So you will, what your goal with that sort of head banging is to prevent it. Uh, you can't prevent it by just saying stop. That's not gonna happen. He doesn't really, you know, at this point, I don't, and I don't know your child well enough, but I think most of the language will be more like blah, blah, blah. He's not really understanding the concepts of stop and do this and so on. So he's He's just enjoying the interaction, which is why he giggles or laughs or has fun with you. So uh, the way to stop these behaviors is to prevent them, is to block them. Now, you'll either be preventing it by the helmet uh, because he just won't get the sensation, or you'll be preventing it by keeping his visual busy with something else. Let us know how that goes. The, the fact that he also bangs his head when he's mad, that is a different function. So it's very, very possible. Always remember that. You can have one topography of a behavior, one type of behavior like headbanging, and it can have multiple functions. So it can happen when he wants the sensation, which he'll headbang backwards perhaps, or it can happen when he's angry and he'll headbang and hit something because what he's trying to do, because probably what happens is when he's done that in the past, people have backed off and left him alone. So to him, it's a way of saying, leave me alone, I don't want to deal with a demand. So that head banging is demand avoidance. He's trying to avoid whatever it is you told him to do. Now, uh, so in that case, the response is uh, you, you actually motor him through whatever it is. I think you said when he's mad and he's not, I don't know what makes him mad, but uh, you know, whatever, if you place the demand and that made him mad and then he head banged, that would indicate he's just trying to avoid the demand, in which case you would want to make sure he doesn't avoid it. So you would kind of motor him through it, give easier instructions so that he can do them. Uh, but I would not allow him to get away with things just by head banging. That's the important message here, because when our kids head bang and then we back off, what happens is they learn that head banging sufficiently freaked you out to leave me alone. So from here on, when I want you to not give me a demand or place a demand on me, I'm gonna headbang. So what you're doing in effect is actually teaching him to increase headbanging, which is definitely not something you want. So that's not good. Um, with the issue of the meals, he is eating, and then I think what you're saying is that he cries for more food. Uh, I, what I think you should be doing is you should start to teach him to point to pictures of food items so that you're placing a contingency on it so that he has to request food, more food. So for instance, uh, if you have a bunch of different, let's say you're giving him a meal which consists of, I don't know, chicken and peas uh, and potatoes, and you are able to either, you will, and I, I suggest you, you teach him actually the, you have pictures that represent peas and pictures that represent potatoes and pictures that represent chicken and it looks very similar. And you have the pictures, you could use a Polaroid, you could just teach these to him separately as a part of a program. And when he wants more of something, he has to point to it. Now, ultimately in the long run, he'll end up having a whole 
array of pictures because there's certain foods and two-year-olds don't have a whole bunch of foods they like. They probably, he being having GI issues might even be picky. But let's say you have 10 food items, you can teach him those food items and he can point to it. So this is the very beginning of communication where he will tell you what he wants more. And because that requires him to do something, he's, it's go, it's, he will, it'll be less likely that he will keep asking for more food because it, there's a demand involved now. Um, and if he's really hungry, then he will go ahead and do that. Um, you don't, don't try to distract. So here's, he screams and cries, and then you distract him by being silly and singing. Being silly and singing is a fun thing, so it could be classified as a reinforcer, and it's following the screaming and crying. So human nature is when a reinforcer follows a certain behavior, that behavior increases. So by being silly and, and uh, singing you, with him to distract him, I know that's your goal, but what's actually happening is he will learn that in the future, if he wants you to, to sing and be silly, he'll cry and do all those behaviors because you've now paired the reinforcer with that particular behavior. So whenever he does something you don't like, walk away from it. Don't reinforce it by interacting, talking to him, giving him, uh, you know, being silly and singing and that sort of stuff. Turn your back on it, you know, and don't attend to it. That's called extinction, and you will learn that in the IBT modules. Finally, it's, it's completely contrary to what we've it all is very been raised. Contrary, very contrary. Yes. I had to put a, a thing on my mirror that said, "Reward good behavior and act like the bad behavior didn't happen." Exactly. Because I couldn't remember that because I had been trained as a person that be on your kid. They do something, don't do that. Stop. Don't do that. It's the complete opposite. Total opposite. <clears throat> but Total I put it opposite. on the mirrors in all the bathrooms right. so that I would remember as Absolutely. often as possible, you know, act like the bad behavior didn't happen. And other people around you will lose their minds. They'll be like, aren't you going to say something about No, I'm not going to say right. something about that. And it's so important and it's so interesting because you have people say that ABA has a reputation of being like abusive I or too And we are the people that ignore bad behavior, right. you know, which is really interesting for me. But so, and then finally, the last thing is this whole swallowing of, of yes. water and holding it. And by the way, we had another right, uh, a viewer who wrote it and said, oh my goodness, that's my kid. He bangs his head and he holds water in his mouth. Okay. So we have more than one listener. That's an interesting. So just reduce the amount of water per sip. So just give him a tiny amount of water in the cup. If he swallows it, immediately give him more. If he swishes it around, you're not giving him anymore. Just that's the way to go. That's okay. the bottom line. And um, eventually, this is not something you're prepared to deal with right now. Uh, eventually, you will deal with this because we will get him acclimated to a timer. And you will then get him to swallow within certain timer settings. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to mess with it right now because I'm not sure, I don't know enough about him, I don't know what his diet is like. Uh, sometimes when you start dealing with food and drink, it starts to affect the, the variety of things the child drinks or eats. But right now, just give him very small, like, tiny amounts of water so that he, uh, you know, at best, he can hold one sip in his mouth. Okay. But not make it a big deal. Not, not make, make it, it your whole life, no. you know, minimal, not, no discussion about it. You just put less water exactly. in. Okay, great. That was a workout. Yeah. That was a half of the show. I just, when uh, I saw the question, I know, and so I really there. care about parents like this, this is, you are the reason I'm in this field. Let right? me just tell you, because I, I'm so dedicated to people who are willing to do so much. Yeah. And I just want to help you as much as I possibly can. So feel free to write in to us more and we'll do the best we can. Absolutely. We're going to take a short break and then when we come back we've got a question from a, a grandparent about a three and a half year old. We've got a question about a newly diagnosed five year old and then we're going to talk a little bit about summer and how to schedule a day for the summer for kids who think they want to be on the TV all the time. So stick with us. More Ask Dr. Doreen after these messages. Hi, I'm Yvonne Johansson, and this is My Little House. My Little House is an interactive, multi-sensory, educational cell toy that I invented 
to help develop children's language skills. I love my little house. I've been working as a speech therapist for over 20 years. I have spent my entire career working with young children. I work with children with language delays, and I have many children with significant cognitive disabilities and children on the autism spectrum. It has been a constant challenge finding toys that are fun, educational, and actually engage my students. In every preschool since I've been a young therapist, we carry on these felt boards. Kids love them because they're soft and they're fluffy, and there's usually these little pieces that attach to these boards because felt sticks onto felt. You bring them into the activity because they're now they're putting a piece on the board. So it's almost kind of like magic. So then I just thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just take this one-dimensional board and make it into an actual three-dimensional toy? How cool would that be? That's the idea behind My Little House. You can spread it out flat like a four-panel felt board, or here's the cool part. In the blink of an eye, My Little House easily converts into a three-dimensional reversible house. This is the outside. This is the inside. My Little House comes with 36 felt cutout pieces that match outlines in eight colorful rooms. And they're felt, so they stick. Each piece inside My Little House has been placed with purpose. For instance, in the kitchen, whole half, under, on top, inside, big, bigger, and biggest, empty and full, circle, triangle, inside, outside, Really cool thing, I have a nonprofit, Lecotech. They are the folks that put out the Differently Able Guide for Toys R Us. They've been doing it for 25 years. They gave me their seal of approval as a toy that they feel is a toy with purpose and that will make a difference. But My Little House isn't just for kids on the spectrum or with significant disorders. It's also for typically developing two to five-year-olds. It's a fun toy. Recently, I took My Little House to the American Speech and Hearing Association convention in Philadelphia, and the response from my peers was overwhelming. Hundreds of therapists, teachers, and heads of school districts wanted to order them. It was real validation for me that this truly is a toy that needs to get out there. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm a proud autism mom, I'm a former educator, and I am the host of Autism Live. And as all three of those things, I want to recommend to you My Little House. This is one of the smartest toys I have ever seen for teaching language to kids who have emerging language. Whether they're on the autism spectrum or completely neurotypical, it's a great, fun, reinforcing toy, but it's especially great for our kids that are on the autism spectrum because it makes learning fun and it makes it tactile. They have these felt shapes and they get to match them up. And I'm telling you, even the adults love to play with this. We loved this toy so much that we wanted to be able to bring it to you at a great discount. So right now, if you will go to www.smartfelttoys, and when you get to the coupon code, put in a-live.com, you'll get $5 off. Isn't that great? So I want to encourage you, go and get My Little House for all the kiddos in your life. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet, and she's answering your questions in real time. I want to get to another question that we had come in on our Facebook uh, as a message from a grandparent. I love it when grandparents get involved. My grandson is three and a half years old. We've been fighting to get him therapy, but so far he gets two hours of speech weekly. My husband and I are taking him to a class called Kith and Kin, which is run by a teacher at the local library where the little guy can practice his social skills. The minimal amount of speech therapy has made a tremendous difference. He's now beginning to engage us on his own, and he's trying to interact with other children. How can I get the appropriate therapy for him? I feel with socialization and speech, he can catch up very quickly. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to link this to the next question that we had because it's, it's about beginning and starting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, in totally different areas, but another person wrote in and said on our live feature this morning and said, hello, we just found out that my five-year-old is on the spectrum and we're just starting to learn about autism. He also has an auditory processing disorder and gets, over, uh, gets overstimulated by noise and sounds. His challenges are 
trouble tolerating no transitioning, spitting on other kids, and when he wants some space, difficulty tolerating young brother, he's tantruming. He will go to his room to calm down, but it slams his door. If we block it, his tantrum lasts longer. And this is the part where I feel like they're connected is where do I begin? He will go to kindergarten in the fall, and thank you very much. So yeah. very different, but about beginning. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, you, you know, there's, I guess, three ways you can go about getting therapy right now. First of all... But can we start by saying, because they're so new, that they have to get ABA? Yes. That, that has okay, to happen. Okay, so let's go back. Yes, okay, absolutely. The first family is trying to get speech therapy, and I'm not sure if they're, they're clear that speech therapy is quite different from ABA. So uh, the, the intervention that has been the only therapy, the only treatment that has been approved for autism is ABA, which stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. What that is is very, uh, it's very basic uh, treatment therapy. It, it looks like educational instruction, but it isn't. It's, it falls under the realm of psychology. Uh, and what it is is basically uh, you learn the therapists who work with the children uh, use various techniques uh, to modify the child's behaviors. And the, when I talk about modifying behaviors, the, the types of behaviors that we're modifying are two types. There's the challenging behaviors, which the second family has listed, like uh, you spitting, know, and tantruming. spitting, tantruming, et cetera. And those we want to reduce and get rid of, ultimately. And then there's the uh, delayed behaviors, so s areas that are delayed, like no speech, no social skills, no uh, you know, play, no adaptive skills, whatever, and those we want to increase. And so we use these techniques in ABA uh, to teach the child how to not engage in those challenging behaviors and also at the same time we're trying to increase all of their skills because the more skilled an individual becomes, the less likely they're going to use challenging behaviors to communicate. Uh, a lot of these behaviors, the majority of these challenging behaviors are used because the child can't communicate otherwise. Uh, with our typical kids, uh, two and three year olds tantrum instead of using their words. What we tell them is use your words and then they use their words and if we can give them what they want or if, if their words are useful to them, the tantrum stops. Um, so it's really important that both of you uh, try to get your, your grandchild three and a half and your child five-year-old involved with ABA as soon as possible. And I, can I just throw out a disclaimer here too that, uh, you know, you might be listening and going, oh, but these kids are obviously in different skill level places. Yes. And a lot of times people will be told, oh, well, this child isn't high functioning enough to get ABA or this one is too high functioning to benefit from ABA. And, and I wondered if you could, I, I know that to be total hooey. Right. That both of these kids, regardless of where they are skill level, what they really need is ABA, and maybe you could, you know, briefly address Talk that. About that absolutely. So ABA is a series of techniques. It is a uh, subsection of psychology, and basically these techniques work with everyone. They work with you and I. Uh, an example is. Uh, I have been doing this show with you for how many years now? I don't know, like four? Five. Five years. And uh, so it, for me, it, the, the behavior of doing this show is, you know, I give up whatever else I have to do and I come down and I sit here and I answer questions for an hour. So there's a little bit of demand involved or there's some, it's a task. Uh, however, for me, there are, it is the, doing this show is not only... Uh, infused with massive reinforcers for me because I read these these amazing emails that are all thankful for the help that we've given them so it's incredibly reinforcing for me that my doing the show is like infused with all this reward for me but also I really enjoy being with mm. you so it's for me a double reinforcer so it's actually funny because I would if I looked back at the last five years this would be the only thing that has been a stable place in my calendar for the past five years. The mm -hmm. only thing. Everything mm -hmm. else changes because nothing else actually has this level of reward for me, which is really interesting. 
So what that means is I do this show, I'm rewarded, so I'm more likely to keep doing this show. So any behavior, the whole concept of ABA is any behavior that is followed by a reinforcer it increases, any behavior that is not followed by adequate reinforcer decreases. That's all ABA is. That principle applies to individuals with autism, when we want to increase people's behavior in the workplace, um, marriage counseling, I mean, you name it, that, that principle applies to, to anything. So it really has nothing at all to do with the level of functioning of the child whatsoever. It's a series of protocols and practices that apply to everyone. The content of the instruction, which is really the curriculum, has to be individualized to the child. So if there's a child who has no speech, then we will work on communication probably first. Whether it's verbal or nonverbal, it's definitely going to be communication. Um, also, if it's a child who has a ton of challenging behaviors, we're going to be working on communication because communication will replace challenging behavior. If it's a higher functioning child who is talking just fine, but their social behavior is odd, that's what we're going to be working on. So if it's a, you know, we, we, the array of lessons is massive. Uh, if it's an adult, we're most likely going to be working on, you know, things like uh, vocational skills or daily living skills or whatever it is. So it really has to do with what are the skills that are the most important to the child's uh, functioning and what are the, f the skills that the family wants uh, and you know so where should our focus be. Now for younger children it has been shown that if you are let's say two or three or four years old beginning a program uh, and in some cases even five, you actually have the, uh, the possibility of learning everything you, that you're delayed on. So which would mean you have the, the, there is a possibility that you might fully recover, which means you no longer meet the criteria for a diagnosis of autism. Obviously a diagnosis of autism requires certain deficits and certain aberrations in skills to be present. If you're young enough and you do intensive ABA, so we're talking 40 hours a week of ABA with another individual, so a therapist teaching you for 40 hours a week, then uh, over the course of two to three years, you have a decent chance of actually catching up with other kids. Um, at least, you know, the research shows that at least half of the kids have that chance if they get really quality ABA. As you get older, it becomes harder and harder. Now, why is that? That's because there's more and more to teach. I always say, if I take a two-year-old and I have three years, so by the time they're five, I have a lot of time to try to teach them all the skills of a five-year-old. But if I'm working with, let's say, a six-year-old to start, by the time they're nine, just think about the things that I would have to teach them. It's, it's, it becomes impossible. There's just not enough hours in the day to be able to teach everything. So it becomes very hard for the child to catch up. Fully. Um, not, fully not, catch not, up. Not, not catch up at all, but I, to fully catch up. And having said that, there are children, there's a subset of children who just take a much longer time. I've had children in therapy for 10 years. Yeah. And, and then they ultimately catch up completely, you know. So there are children who will go at a slower pace, but they'll keep going and they will keep learning faster than they age. That's the key, is learning faster than your chronological age. It's like tutoring, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to tutor someone in math, they have to learn everything that all the other kids know, but they're so far behind that they're double learning, really. Right. So a lot of our kids, if you can uh, kind of get them to a point where they're getting intensive services, it's like intensive tutoring. They will learn. And there is not a single child who doesn't learn. So let's just put it that way. You, the children learn, it's just a matter of how much they learn. And that really is, you know, you just need to get in it and you'll see how fast your child changes. So for this three and a half year old, let's start with a three and a half year old that is, it's, speech is making a difference for two hours, but if they had ABA for 40 hours a week, mm -hmm. a lot could change. And Massive quickly. changes would occur. And I, I would recommend for both of these children, because even though the other child is five, mm -hmm. I would recommend that you try to start with about 50, uh, 40 hours for both children, because 
you just don't know initially and the second child has a lot of challenging behaviors so when you have a lot of challenging behaviors it becomes very important to control the child's environment uh, if you do let's say three hours things or 10 hours whatever the rest of those 30 the child gets a little confused because now they have rules during those 10 hours and no the old rules in during the rest of the time and it becomes very difficult to get rid of these challenging behaviors whereas if they're all of their waking hours are controlled by AB, the rules of ABA uh, they'll get through these behaviors a lot faster so um, you know I, I want to talk about how to get a program because I don't know where you each are right. there's three different ways that you could go about this obviously the prior the the pre preference is if you have funding if you have funding which means right now ABA is covered by insurance in most locations and most types of insurance so the first thing I would do is look at my health insurance my medical insurance inquire about ABA and and see what coverage you have now if you don't know how to do that you can contact us or assess our admissions department actually will do a benefits check for you so we will uh, check on coverage if you have coverage then your life is a lot easier and you will uh, depending on where you are I, we can guide you on how to set up a program if you're card right now our company has I think around 140 sites so wherever you are we might be close to you and we might be able to just take over and start if we if you engage with us we do all of it so we will do everything from diagnosis to to end you know everything we do annual testing we'll we'll staff your child we'll give you a team of people if you're doing 40 hours you'll need four or five people working with your child at any given time to produce a full schedule now uh, if you don't have insurance your other options are that you can uh, hire people in your area um, and you will then hire them and train them um, and uh, the way to do that you have again two ways to do that you could you could employ a company like ours to train them for you and help you uh, with getting your program started and overseeing that that's kind of called the workshop model or what we talk about now is remote services is what we refer to it or the other option is to use the technology that we've produced so many years ago I realized there's a lot of parents out there who don't have funding this was before insurance and I wanted to make sure that families have access to all the information they need so we produced two different companies one is Institute for Behavioral Training, which we talked about earlier. Look that up. It is ibehavioraltraining.com. Mm -hmm. ibehavioraltraining.com uh, is an online source for training in all the behavioral techniques, all the techniques of ABA. I highly recommend you as a grandparent or parent uh, just acclimate yourself to that. This is very, very inexpensive. Uh, you can learn about autism and about ABA and you can actually get fully trained as a parent and each of these modules are you know like ten dollars uh, and you can share it with other people who you want trained you can have a whole lot five of you get together and watch it together and learn together and I really recommend them they're very well made and they will teach you everything you need to know about ABA honestly because we have professional levels too there's levels for parents for therapists teachers and professionals so there's many you could advance quite significantly so that is one thing uh, the other thing you'll need uh, aside from learning the techniques is you'll need a curriculum and that for that I recommend you go to our skills website and that is skillsforautism.com and you will there it starts with an assessment of your child and this is where the, the difference between the children becomes apparent because what you do is you start by answering questions about the child and it'll take a little while uh, to answer all the questions and the questions are all just can your child do this or not yes or no yes or no and you answer all these questions and it, anything that your child cannot do it'll generate a profile of all the lessons that you have to teach so your child can't talk okay then and he's what three and a half then we have to teach him uh, all aspects of language that a typical three and a half year old would do all aspects 
So uh, you say you answer the assessment, and then it generates this program for you and tells you kind of how to teach each of those types of lessons. There's teaching uh, plans, and uh, if you are in school, it gives you IEP goals. I mean, it really gives you a comprehensive amount of information. With those two things in hand, you have a behavioral training and you have the content. You should be able to put a program together even yourself if you're adequately, if you really infuse yourself in the IBT modules. Skills will guide you and you'll be able to put a program together. Um, you can also get just supervision from us. Uh, we do a lot of telehealth supervision where we can help oversee your case, tell you what to do and so on and so forth. Um, and those are your real options. I mean, the information is out there. It's a little bit harder if you have to do it yourself. Obviously, it takes a lot of time. But I highly recommend that you get involved because all of these issues, I mean, the, you, you, the three and a half year old who is learning really rapidly with just two hours, that's a really good sign and really indicates that your child has very good potential um, imagine what your child could do in, with 40 hours and please do your best to get not speech therapy but ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis. And the five-year-old who hasn't even been diagnosed until now, uh, what that tells me is that your that child has a lot of uh, skills already and that the only reason they're getting a diagnosis right now is possibly because all these challenging behaviors exist. Now, challenging behaviors are not part of the autism diagnosis. They're a side effect of the autism diagnosis because the child has a hard time communicating. And they've learned, for instance, that, uh, hey, I want some space. I'm going to throw a tantrum and people will back off. Uh, you know, I, and you might be right that he is overstimulated. A lot of our kids are overstimulated by noises and sounds. Um, and it's funny that you said he has trouble tolerating no. Uh, a lot of kids have trouble tolerating no. I have trouble tolerating <laughs> Everybody no. Everybody <laughs> does. And unfortunately, uh, we have to, sooner than later, uh, teach our kids sometimes that they have to tolerate no. And uh, it's, there are techniques that you can do, that you use to, to get our kids to be more compliant. So please don't give up. I know it's... it's uh, massive what you feel like what, it, what you're dealing with feels like it's a lot uh, but it it you know it's quite doable and it, it's easy to get overwhelmed um so first of all you know i just want to send you an air hug and say that it, this is doable it like i'm listening to it going oh my gosh that's so overwhelming so scary, i don't think yeah. i could do it but I know that I did. But how you do it is you do it one step at a time. Definitely. And even if you just have to today say, I'm going to do these two things. So today you could go to the institute ibehavioraltraining.com and just buy one module. Yes. I would recommend the one on compliance. I agree. Because all good things come with compliance. And for both of these kids, compliance would be a great thing. I agree. And there's, you, the, especially the second child, I just want you to really infuse yourself in IBT and learn about how to manage challenging behavior. Because I, I don't want you to wait for kindergarten to deal with it in the oh, fall. No. no one else is going to deal with this. They don't, unless you're trained in ABA, a lot of times these behaviors will go on forever. And like I'm telling you, this is a good opportunity to get involved and change these things. Yeah. You can make a huge dent in it just over the summer. And, and waiting is the last thing you want to Absolutely. do. So you got to take some action today. So I would go to ibehavioraltraining.com, do the compliance training, and, and start watching it. That would count as two things, the going to the website, getting it. Now, if you want to do one more thing, you could go to Skills and sign up for your free 14-day trial and just start answering questions in one of the curricular areas. Don't think you're going to get the whole thing right. done in one day. Right. That's not going to happen. Um, but I'll tell you, it's the best investment in your child to take that assessment because you will get a, a, a snapshot of where your child is. I always say you go to the mall and it says you are here. And then you can look at the map and go, where do I want to get from here? And as a parent, I wanted that so badly with autism. I didn't get that until we took the skills uh, and honestly, there's no other developmental assessment that's this comprehensive. It's pretty incredible. Like, it really shows you. And don't get depressed because it's not about, oh, my gosh, all the stuff he doesn't know. It's about now that I know what he doesn't know, I can yep. teach him. It's a, it's a place to start. So there's those two things. And that'll and then... explain. Actually, you know, when children have so many weaknesses, 
then you understand why they're so frustrated. Yes. Which is why they're sense. having these challenging behaviors. And you will see, I mean, even at school, sometimes they talk about your child's expressive language and the receptive language. The first time I saw it on a graph and went, oh, he hears more of what I'm saying than what he says, I then knew how to play to his strengths. Absolutely right. So those are things. We're, unfortunately, we're out of time, and we didn't get to the one. I promise that next week we will start with a question about what to do with a kid's time during the summer because they want to watch TV all the time. Yes. But I will tell you that we, we did a series last year, and we were refreshing it this year about Summer Slide, um, and, and we started redoing it again last Thursday about five things that you can do with all kids, at, no matter what level they're at, you can approach it one way. So take a look at our summer slide series about what to do to structure their time. But we'll have you answer that as well next week. Thank you so much for everything Thank you, you do. Thank you very much. Thank you Always for being enjoy. on the planet. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, <laughs> sincerely. And thank all of you for writing in with these great, great questions.